This podcast is a recording from our Sex Rewired event. Please be advised, it is intended for mature audiences only. Let, let me kind of set the, the, the agenda for tonight, just so you're aware. I think you, you guys are aware that this is an adult conversation on sex. We are going to see God's thoughts on sexuality and on sex. Um, but before we do that, there, there has to be a time of worship. I think our time together, coming, coming together, would be in vain if we do not worship the one that created sex. And so here's the goal, man. You guys have sent in a ton of questions. We, we probably won't be able to get through all of them, but we will be trying to get through as many as we can. And uh, there'll, there'll be moments where I'm going to take at least 30 to 40 minutes to answer some of those questions after worship. We also have a panel that will come up and, and share some thoughts on singleness and marriages. Uh, it, it's just going to be, it should be something for everybody. Um, here's what's in the room. There are some of you in this room that I'm just going to be honest as possible. There are some people in this room that uh, are virgins. There are others in this room that are sexually promiscuous. There are some in this room that have a past and now are, have been going on six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of celibacy. There are some of you that are married. There are some of you that had sexual abuse when you were a child. There's others of you in here that are having a hard time finding intimacy within marriage. There are some of you that have committed adultery in marriage. There are some of you that have been cheated on in relationship and in marriage. All of that's in this room tonight. But here's what I love about the word of God. There is nothing that is not answered in the word of God. So my hope and prayer tonight is that all of the questions that come through will be biblically rooted in the word of God so that you guys aren't leaving out of here with my opinion. Hear me. The last thing you need is my opinion. What you need is the nutrients of the word of God. So let's do this. Let me pray. Everybody bow your heads with me. Lord, we do want to acknowledge our need for you in this room as i said some of us are coming here with a load of baggage lord first of all help them to realize they are forgiven in you even if we're coming here off a chaotic week lord i i do pray that we would uh, not suppress the issues of the week but just leave it outside so that we'll have no distractions when worshiping you may we hear from you today May we worship you today. And Lord, I even pray for the ones that are in this room that aren't believers. I'm not naive to think that everybody in this room is trusted in Jesus. There are some people in this room that have not. And Lord, I just pray in the mighty name of Jesus that the gospel would hymn them up today. They would walk out of here saying, what must I do to be saved? And Father, for the one that has trusted in Jesus, would you sharpen us today? Would you encourage us? Would you rebuke us? Would you challenge us? Most of all, would you show us your son, Jesus Christ? May he be glorified. May he be lifted up. It's in Christ's name we pray and give all glory. Let everybody say amen. amen. We're going to now transition into a time of, of question and answer. My, my name is Pastor B, by the way, Pastor Brandon. I, I do get the great privilege of serving here at Epiphany Church as the lead pastor. Uh, I'm excited to, uh, to serve this church, serve this community uh, because it is it is a community that is in desperate need of Jesus Christ. This church is full of people that are in desperate needs of Jesus Christ. And, and we come honestly and vulnerable. We, we do not try to act like we got it all together. I don't know if you guys have been to those type of churches where everything, everybody has it together. We don't. I assume everybody in this room is a sinner. 
And if everybody in this room is a sinner, then we all coming across the table with our own sin. Uh, and so we, that's just a little bit about our church. Tonight is a good night for us to talk about sex. Man, I don't know why salt and pepper popped right in my mind just when I said that. Y'all been singing it too. Don't act like it. But tonight we're going we're gonna to have a, a, a real, real detailed conversation. But let, let me just lay my cards on the table for you. If you guys uh, aren't familiar with me, it's cool. But let me just kind of tell you how I'm going to flow tonight. Uh, and that is just to be brutally honest. I, I don't know, like you, you can go anywhere in this borough and hear about sex and people are going to be brutally honest. But for some reason, when the pastor is brutally honest, people are like, mm, what is he talking about? That's a little too much. Uh, but I, my, my hope and prayer tonight is to be brutally honest yet without being perverted. Amen. Amen. But really dig us down into God's thoughts. I do not embarrass easily. And so I, I'm not afraid to say vagina. I'm not afraid to say clitoris. I'm not afraid to say penis. In fact, let's just go ahead and get it out. <laughs> let's get it out so we all comfortable. At, at the count of three, everybody just say penis. One, two, three. Oh, ain't that, don't that just feel good? Don't it feel better? I, I've, I've waited the last two years to do that. No, I'm kidding. It's been longer than that. All right, listen. Listen, I, I, I'm just trying to break the air because you, you'll, you'll hear me say some things tonight that, um, that, that may sound a little risque or may sound a little harsh. I don't mean it to be harsh. I, I genuinely, genuinely uh, love you, and I genuinely want the best for you. Uh, and so I, I'm going to press in where I need to press in. I'm going to lighten up where I need to lighten up. But at the end of the day, I, I, I want to ask for forgiveness now if anything offends you. I don't mean to, uh, but you did come to Sex Rewired, and so you kind of knew what was happening tonight. What I did want to do, though, I, I have a few minutes to, you can start that clock uh, for me. What I want to do is my, my time tonight, I'm going to try to get through seven, eight, maybe even nine or, or ten questions, depending on if we get stuck. And then I want to take at least ten minute, minutes of questions from you in this room. Uh, those of you who are bold to ask anything, some of you have sent anonymously sent in questions and uh, really over the last 24 to 48 hours, you have poured in a lot of questions and there were some questions that were duplicates. And so we thought those were priorities. So we put those up kind of high on the list. And then there's a panel that's going to come up. What I want to do is I realize in the culture, how many have watched um, uh, Jada Pickett's Red Table this week on she, she did one. You didn't see it this week. She did one this week on, uh, it was on sexuality and sex, and it was her, her mother, and she had uh, Willow Smith there at the table, and they just, and, and a friend, and they just went in and were talking, and I realized this week uh, from watching that, but also looking at the questions, that it's probably not good for me uh, to be the only one in this time to give you any type of uh, thoughts on sexuality. So I want to invite my wife up, kind of soften. I, I'll say things like penis. She won't. I don't know if she will. Uh, but I want to invite her up. If you can grab a, a mic. And uh, what we'll do is anything that she needs to just like weigh in and, and, and say. You want to test that? All right. Y'all give it up for my wife, y'all. Ain't she looking good? Sex rewire, babe. All right. I'm not ready, y'all. I'm she, not. She was going, I think my boys should come tonight. I was like, they might not want to come tonight. Tonight's, <laughs> tonight's not the night for them. Uh, but he, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to weigh in where I need to weigh in. Uh, she, she, has a, a, she has good discernment on when she needs to reel me back in or if you need to say anything. If I'm saying anything from a male perspective, because I do not know what sexuality is like as a female. 
I know what the Bible says, but I don't know what it's like as a female. So please jump in, weigh in, cut me off uh, if you need to. All right, let's, uh, let's right, get right into the questions. Question number one. I've heard many married Christian couples come against oral sex. Y'all starting right there, huh? <laughs> as an inappropriate act. How can we get a biblical response to this? Uh, okay. Oral sex, right in. Now, what I like about the question is, it, this is not asking about oral sex overall. It's asking about oral sex in the context of marriage. And so th there's really two assumptions when it comes to oral sex. Number, number one, we either are teetering the line saying, is oral sex really, is it sex? Is it a sin? Uh, it's not sexual intercourse, so is it bad? And then the other part of that question really is this one, which is, is it okay within a Christian marriage to do or to perform oral sex on your partner? Uh, I, I'm going to just give a strong yes. And, and the reason I would say yes, I think it's, when it says inappropriate up here, I'm guessing that means is it sinful? Uh, it's not sinful. Uh, I think oral sex is appropriate within the context of a, of a marriage, of a man and a woman. In fact, the reason I can so strongly affirm that I think that it's okay is because the Bible talks about oral sex. I don't know if you guys have ever read Song of Solomon. Let me grab my Bible. Anybody ever in here ever gone through devotion in Song of Solomon? Listen here. Listen here. Let me tell you all something about Song of Solomon. Just, just, a, just a little bit of, of history on the book of Song of Solomon. Real talk, in ancient Israel, you, you literally, they would not let you read Song of Solomon. You could read any other book of the Pentateuch. You could read any other book of the, the Old Testament. But when it came to Song of Solomon, they typically didn't let you read it unless two things were going on. Number one, unless you were above the age of 30 or unless you were married. Because it's that explicit. Uh, and, and it really does talk about sex. If I can just give you a couple verses, if you're writing these down, please do. Uh, Song of Solomon, uh, chap uh, chapter two, verse number three says this. Among the young men, my lover is like an apple tree in the woods. I enjoy sitting in his shadow. His fruit, note that word, is sweet to my taste. Many commentators said this word fruit here is speaking of the genitals of a man of a husband. Okay, let me give you another one. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 16 says this, awaken north wind, come south wind, blow on my garden. Somebody say amen. <laughs> and let its sweet smell flow out. I'm just reading the Bible, like, <laughs> let my lover enter into my garden. Here it is, and eat of its fruit. And so, he, let me give you one more, one more, because y'all still don't believe me. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 9, says this. She goes down smoothly from beloved, gliding over my lips and my teeth. Many commentators have said that these three verses are explicitly talking about oral sex. And so when we, when we enter into a marriage, now I think there might need to be some conversation Especially if, what if you're marrying, uh, uh, prayerfully you are, but what if you're marrying someone that has never had any type of 
uh, sexual relationship with anybody. No man has ever had the sexual relationship, no woman. And you enter into that marriage and it's like, man, I don't, I don't know if this is appropriate. I don't know if this is okay. It feels dirty. I think what has happened is the culture has perverted oral sex. But in the context of marriage, you, you do know that there are some marriages, le legit, this is legit. There are some marriages that um, sexual intercourse physically is very difficult for one of the partners. Like it physically is painful. There are some female that have some type of uh, physical dis, dis, uh, dis, uh, physical problem that they legitimately, you penetrate their vagina and it literally hurts every single time. And so what do you do in that case? Now I'm not saying uh, replace it with oral sex. What I am saying is that is a good alternative. And so for a marriage, I, I would definitely say, um, it's definitely not off the table. I think there are some things that are off the table. I'll hold off on saying what those are. Uh, I will uh, get through the questions. Do you have anything you want to add about oral sex? Not at all. <laughs> all right, next question. Why are sexual thoughts sinful if they are never acted on? This one is, is, a, is a, it's one of those questions, I think by nature, I think by nature, First of all, all of us outside of Jesus Christ are prone to sin. And so when, when we think about just this question, I think the question, and I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to whoever wrote the question, the question might be flawed even as a question. Because really what we're saying is, how far can I go? Can I think these thoughts? And I think, you know, after a while, it never ends with just thoughts. It always moves on. In fact, we, we did a Bible study a couple of, uh, couple of months ago, and... I preached on or did the Bible study on Colossians chapter three, verse number five, where it says, put it to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? And then it says sexual immorality, impurity. Impurity literally is is talking about uh, putting captive or putting to death any type of thoughts that are not of the Lord. And so I think your desires and your passions that, like God created them. Let me just affirm sex is good. Your desire for sex is good. Your desire for intimacy in marriage is good, I think. But if, you, if you're pondering, up, if you can keep that up for me so I can keep looking at it. If you're pondering uh, on thoughts that are unhealthy, I think after a while it does turn into covet, covetedness. It turns into idolatry because you're now lusting after something that's not yours. Only thing that's yours is when you get married. That's why the Bible says her body is not hers. My body is not mine. But when you're lusting after someone that's not yours, even if you're not acting on them, it is sin. I'm going to take it a step further, and then if you want to jump in, you can. Here, I'm going to take it a little bit further. Jesus says, I think it's Matthew chapter 5, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But then he says, but I say, if you looked after a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery. And so you might be thinking, I'm not acting on it, so I'm okay. But in reality, you thought it, Jesus says, I already got you. Because the sin is not necessarily the physical act. The sin is when you're not taking that thought and putting it to death. And reality is, I'm going to let you, if you got something to say, I feel like a Kanye West right now. I'm going to let you finish, Taylor, in a second. Real talk. Real talk. If you do not put it to death, after a while, it will come to get you. And you might get away with the thoughts for a while. You might not act on them for a while. But at some point, it gets boring. Um, 
I think also the, as single people, individuals, the scripture never calls for us to meditate on sex. It doesn't. Um, the scripture says, um, uh, "I will keep I will keep my mind stayed on." I will keep my mind in perfect peace when mine is stayed on him. The scripture also says, um, um, singing, meditating and singing to yourself in spiritual songs and in hymns. Mm. Um, and the scripture also says, think of these things, what is lovely, what is pure. And so as singles, that's where our heart should be. That's where our mind should be, meditating on the Lord. Because if you're meditating on sin, that's a distraction. It's a distraction for your life as an individual, for your health for your mental state, for your emotional state. And when you find yourself meditating on these things, you normally find yourself in a situation that you, it's hard to get out of. But if you take the time to meditate on scriptures, to meditate on God, to meditate on his plans for your life, it keeps you focused. Now, for married people, it's beautiful to meditate <laughs> on sex while you're at work. Um, I, and I think sometimes we don't do that because we think, it's, in, you know, I'm in sin if I'm meditating on sex. No. It's a beautiful thing to be at your desk and sing your husband. <laughs> okay? I don't even got to say it. Yeah, I got it. And, 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 and I think for women sometimes, um, it takes us a longer, a longer time to cook, to get there. And so, and what I mean, like, just in the moment. Like, you know, it's some, for men, it's just like, hey. And for women, we're like, hold on. But if you're thinking about this throughout the day, when he's ready, you're ready because your body is already there, your mind is already there. And for women, it starts in our mind. You know, we don't, it, it's, it's a sexual thing, but it's, we already contemplated on that thing. We already thought about it. We got the sense. We got the outfit. We got the, we ready. We, but it, took, it, it started in our mind. And so for, for single people, I do encourage you to meditate on God. I know it sounds taboo and cliche and old and rusty and dusty, um, but it's truth. And the Bible's longevity is everlasting to everlasting. Like, it doesn't fade. Like, this is what we'll be holding on forever, forever. And so for married people, I encourage you, um, for women in particular, um, to meditate on sex with your husband. You know, get the position in your mind. Get what you, and let him know. Be clear. Don't hold back. You know, and, and I think that'll just help with intimacy in the bedroom if we're meditating on it um, beforehand. All right? From, from the man perspective, really quickly, I'll add this, uh, because I think that is true. For, for men, uh, sex, it doesn't take long for a man to be ready. And I think for women, it does take longer. The way I try to describe it is uh, men are like the light switch. You just turn it right on. But women are like an iron. Like, it just takes a minute to heat up. <laughs> but here's the reality. It takes, it takes them a minute to, slow, to cool down, too. And for a man, you can just turn us right off. You know how after you turn that light on, they be like, <sighs> I'm just saying. We, we, we think differently. And so be sensitive as well, uh, those of you who are married in here. I know this is not the question, but those of you who are married, be really, really sensitive because it might be one of those days that your wife just isn't there. In fact, I think the next question deals with this. If we can go to that next one. What are effective strategies that can help lack of intimacy in sex in a marriage? So this is a, this is a great question, and it is a real... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a... Let me give a thought, and then let me get really, really practical, and I don't mean to be disrespectful if it sounds disrespectful. Um, I think... When I think of lack of intimacy in a marriage, 
First of all, I have sat across in counseling from many, many couples that have a hard time trying to find intimacy. And I think the reality is the culture, the world has taught us that, or, or even our parents sometimes have taught us that sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, don't ever sit, have sex, wait until your marriage, don't have sex, don't have sex. And it's been this taboo that sex is bad. And then when it comes to the marriage, all of a sudden it goes from bad, 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 bad to good, 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 good. Which is why I think it's important to have a biblical framework that sex is good. So that when it comes time to the marriage, you're not struggling. I think people go into the marriage going, I don't even know where to start. Even though I'm married, this still feels, this still feels dirty. This doesn't feel right. Uh, and, and so that, that's number one. Uh, there are some, I think, husbands and wives, I think we might need to seek counseling because lack of intimacy might be because somebody, I said this when you guys first came in, I think there might be some in this room. In fact, I know that there are some in this room that have been abused, uh, sexually abused. And so when it comes to intimacy, you know, husbands, if your wife has been sexually abused, we got to be sensitive with that. And we got to help to make sure that they get the help that they need. Likewise for the, the husband, because you know, the reality is I think sometimes we think that just women are sexually abused, but there are a whole bunch of men that have been sexually abused in the same ways. And you know, lack of intimacy might be because of that. Here's the other, I think, more practical reason. Maybe it's a hygiene issue. Like, let's be honest in here. Lack of intimacy, like brothers, maybe you don't shower well. That sounds comical, but it's so true. Like, I've counseled through this enough that I know. Brothers, you got to get in the crevices and the cracks. <laughs> you got to brush your teeth. You got to clean up under your fingernails. And it's comical, but the reality is maybe your wife doesn't want to be intimate with you because you're gross and because you're nasty and because you have not washed. And this is real. We come in a long day, be like, baby, it feels good to get home. Is you ready? Like... How about you wash that day funk off? <laughs> and, and, and now here, now let me root that in Bible. Song of Solomon. Every time Song of Solomon is starting to talk about sexual intimacy, at one point in, in chapter seven, he says, your breath smells like apples. He talks about bringing spices into the garden and bringing aroma into the garden. In other words, there is a connection between hygiene and between sexual intimacy. And sometimes we think it's so deep, my wife won't have sex with me. Reality is we might need to talk to you about washing. Now, I don't want to put that on the women. I, I love for you to, to weigh in on that because I'm just talking on the brother's behalf, but. Can you put the question back up? Can we leave the question up or does it fade out? Okay. Okay, so I will echo that. I think, you know, a good shower and bath don't hurt anybody. But I think um, also every day, um, I also think, <laughs> um, I also think um, just to be practical, like c communication. Um, if you don't like something, it's okay to say I don't like something. And I think when it comes to sex and marriage, like we, it's still taboo for some married couples. Like, I like it this way. Oh, that was it. Do that again. Like, it, it, I don't. Your, your spouse is not going to know how to please you if you're not honest with if you're being pleased. And so if your spouse is thinking they're killing it, they're going to keep doing the same thing over and over until you say, oh, I don't like that. 
And I think just um, sitting down and having um, um, honest conversations about it, even if it's awkward, looking at each other in the eyes, like, babe, I know you think you're killing it, but no. And I think it's true. You say no to everything else. I don't like that outfit. I don't like that shoe. I don't want to pay that bill. I don't like that car. I don't like that house. I don't like that. Um, and I think also um, being open to not hearing that you're killing it. And it's not disrespect. Like, we, you, in your marriage, the same way you're going to grow in communication and love and respect, your sex life is going to increase. Prayerfully, amen? It is. It's going to change as you get older, as you have different vibes. Um, when women are pregnant, their body is different, and, and sometimes it's a dry season. And then after the kids, they, you get the, a new rhythm, you back pop locking. But, it all, but it, all, it all requires communication and patience. And, patience. and I think one, one other thing to consider is I've done this before, and when I do this with you, it brings back memories. And so you have to be honest, like, babe, I know you want to do this, and I want to please you, and I want to do this too, but I've done this before, and I'm not ready yet. And you guys talk about it and be patient and pray with one another and love each other and find out different things to do. Don't do anything that you're not comfortable with, but you need to be honest with it. Sex is not obligated. You're not obligated to have sex with your husband if you're not comfortable. No one's saying, lay down and let me do it to you. And you like, yeah. No, like, be honest. Hey, babe, I really, we need to talk about this. This is my past hurt. This is my past experience. And when we do this, when we, you know, um, start to get intimate, this is my struggle. And spouses, be patient. It doesn't mean that you're a turnoff. It doesn't mean that you're not desired. It doesn't mean that um, your spouse doesn't get arousal from you. They do but they have past experience that they need you to lovingly walk them through and talk to them and support them and let them know it's more to them than an orgasm. Like, I love you more um, than your moisture. There's more to you than this. And being patient until they can grow in that area. You was nervous to say orgasm? <laughs> <laughs> I said penis. So listen, real, real talk, gospel-centered sex, here, here's gospel-centered sex. If you've trusted, now maybe some of you in here have not trusted in Jesus. Thank you for coming. You are welcome to be here. Thank you. Um, if you have trusted in Jesus, here's the gospel that, th there's a verse that says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And, and really the, if you can sum up the gospel in one word, it would be sacrifice, Right. Jesus sacrificed his life on behalf of people that did not love him, did not want him, did not desire him. That's the gospel. Now, here's gospel centered sex. Now, by nature, everybody in this room is selfish by nature. Second Corinthians 521 uh, talks about uh, that Christ came to die for those that those who live may no longer live for themselves. In other words, at the DNA of who you are is selfishness. And so we come into the marriage dealing with selfishness. But we say we're gospel-centered in every area of life. We trust Jesus, and we want Jesus to bear his weight down on every area. But when it comes to sex, we don't apply the gospel. What is the gospel? Sacrifice. Here's gospel-centered sex. My main goal in sex is not to get an orgasm. My main goal in sex is to make sure she does. And if her main goal in sex... 
Okay. If her, if if the spouse's goal in sex is to make sure that the other one gets an orgasm, I'm sorry, babe. I'm, I told you. If the spouse's job, it, like if both, like think about this. If both spouses come to the table saying, "I want to please you," and "I want to please you," that's gospel-centered sex. Selfish sex is I'm going in just for me. That's selfish. That's, that's how you were created, and not, not how you were created. That's a part of the fall is that selfishness. But the gospel redeems all areas of life, and it should redeem your sex life as well. So we'll move on because we spent a lot of time on intimacy. What's the next question? Why is masturbation bad, especially if you're not watching pornographic, uh, uh, pornography and engaging in lustful thoughts but can still achieve a climax? I really don't know how that's possible. I'm just, so let, let me give you my, my story. I'm, I'm just going to put it all out there this morning, uh, tonight. I was introduced to porn at the age of nine. I found my brother's, uh, my oldest brother, he had a magazine up under his bed. I grabbed the magazine. I, I didn't even know what in the heck I was looking at, but it, intri- it opened up a world to me that I could not believe. And so when we talk about uh, masturbation and pornography, we're talking, like, I have years of baggage. I have never in my mind would even think that this was even possible. Like how in the world, I mean, unless you are like thinking, like guys thinking about tractor trailers and football, like that's weird. It is, like it's weird. I don't know how, how, I don't know how masturbation works outside of thinking about lustful thoughts, but it goes back to that Colossians. If impurity that in Colossians chapter three, verse five, if it it talks about putting to death, even impurities, it's talking about putting to death those lustful thoughts. If it's talking about putting to death those lustful thoughts, it's probably hard. Okay, let's put it this way. I'm going to say this. You might be able to. I don't know. I don't think it's true, but you might be able to reach a climax and not think like have a blank slate and not think about anything. But even if that is true, that gets boring after a while. And it moves on to lustful thoughts, and then it moves on to sexual intimacy with someone that's not your husband. And so I'll leave it at that. Maybe ladies have a different perspective with that. Guys, I mean, y'all holler at me if if I'm wrong, but I just don't know how that's possible. No. um, There's no way. There's no way. The the Bible says um, in Philippians 2, do nothing for selfish ambition. And that's just selfish ambition. Mm. Like, that's... um, intimacy, sex was created for two, for a, a, a husband and a wife. That's how God created it. Anything outside of that is selfish, and and we do nothing. Everything, in, as Pastor B said, everything we do um, as Christians is selfless. And then I think also on the practical point, the whole point of an orgasm is the whole process. Like it's kind of dry if you just have. Listen, we had this for y'all, so y'all don't be quiet, okay, when I say stuff, because y'all be making me feel like I'm saying too, y'all be making me nervous. I need y'all talking back. All right. So the whole point of uh, orgasm, it's the whole, it's the whole thought, and that's why it went, I go back to when I said the text from earlier. When you send a text in the morning to your husband, you like, hey, tonight, that whole process for women start. Like, you getting our motors running, we our mind is thinking, we excited, and so for you to have an orgasm to masturbate or to look at porn without lustful thoughts is just impossible. 
Now, you, for women, because we have vibrators, there may be one, two times you can do it, but then after a while, that gets whack. Like, let's be honest, because I know some of y'all got vibrators, and after a while, the vibrator without a thought is whack. It's whack. What's the purpose? It's not fun. Like, it's just dry. And so to, to create the whole scenario and thought in your head, that's, the, that's what makes it fun. That's the enjoyable part. And so I don't think, I think it's nearly impossible. I think you're fooling yourself to say that you can climax without thinking. And I think in marriage, that's the dope part of it, is that you get to have all these thoughts. You get to, and it's, and it's nothing, and there's beauty in it. And there's joy in it, and there's freedom in it. And you're not filled with conviction afterwards. After the two minutes, you, you left with conviction. But in marriage, you have all this day, and then you have the dopest climax, and then there's no conviction. Hello? Last thing I'm going to say is that that Song of Solomon, I mean, I really do encourage you to read the entire book. You can do it in one sitting. It is not a long book. I encourage you to read it. The entire thing is about a man and a woman pleasing each other. There's no moment where Solomon is like, I'm doing my thing by myself. It's just not. And, and you're, you're looking at somebody that has struggled with that for years and years and years. And so I don't, I mean, I know many of you in this room struggle with that and have struggled with it for a long time. I will say, I think this is impossible, but even if you are able to get off without having any type of lustful thoughts, I do think you're, you're really, um, when it says put it to death, I, I think you're waiting for the moment where that thing is going to catch up with you. All right, next question. How do you deal with having same-sex attractions? Uh, this is a great question, homosexuality. Let me first say that the church, and when I say the church, I'm talking the universal church, uh, I don't think has dealt with this well. I, I think um, judging based off of some of the conversations that I've had with those who struggle with homosexuality, uh, the church has been very harsh or very loose. We like swing the pendulum that, to where we're we're bashing homosexuals, homosexuals, or we're ignoring their sin and not dealing with it at all. And either one of those is dangerous. So let, let me just go on record to repent on behalf of any local church that has not dealt with this well, not handled you well, not handled you with care and with love. I, I genuinely, I am sorry and I repent. Um, how do I deal with same-sex attractions? I, I think the first thing we need to note is that it's homosexuality in the scriptures uh, as it relates to the act of homosexuality or lustful thoughts is a sin. Can, can we just start there? Well, first we have to start with, do you believe that the Bible is true? Because, I, I mean, a lot of people you arguing with about homosexuality, they like, I don't even believe the scriptures are true. Then we got to start there. So if we all agree that the scriptures are true, there's two scriptures that pop in mind when I think about homosexuality. Number one is Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 1, I think it's verse 20, uh, 26. Verse, yeah, 26 says this, For this reason God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, 
The second uh, verse that comes to mind is Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. You shall not lie with the male as as with the woman. It is an abomination. And so I, I think we have to start there. You trust the Bible. The Bible does condemn homosexuality. And, but, but I have to say this. One of the things the church has not done well when it comes to homosexuals is we often think, stop being a homosexual, stop having same-sex attraction, and start being attracted to the opposite sex. But can we agree that heterosexuals have the same sinful issues? Because the issue is not the physical act. The issue is the lust and so the way I deal with it, man, and I've dealt with and we have those we have some in our church that deal with homosexuality. I treat them in terms of their lustful intent the same way I would a young man that can't stop sleeping around with a woman the same way. Because what we've done is we've picked pick and choose and we say, well, homosexuality is a greater sin than heterosexual sin. They're all the same. And so I want to deal with you the same now. What we've done as the church is we say, man, listen, just put on a pencil skirt. Just put on high heels and you'll be all right. But the reality is, you know, this uh, this I'm delivered that. I mean, we have that mentality. And so we think we come into the church and we get to the altar and we cry and we scream and we say I'm delivered. And we say things like pray the gay away. And then we leave. You leave out of here and you're still dealing with lustful intent. And we're not helping you. Here's the reality. My goal is not to get your image to be made in being a heterosexual. My goal is to get your image to be formed and shaped in the image of Christ. Because if your image is, and that doesn't mean, now sometimes, now the guy may still have a twitch. You may still have lustful intent. Let me put it this way. There are husbands in this room, and you don't have to say amen if you're sitting right next to your wife. There are many husbands in this room that still deal with lust. To, I mean, they walk out the street and look at somebody and be like, yeah. And that's the opposite sex, right? There are men in this room that still have. But for some reason, we want homosexuals to get to the altar and be so delivered that they never have the thought again. It's not realistic, and it's not helpful. And it's not loving because everybody else will be patient and will extend grace. But homosexuals, we treat them like something's wrong with them. Here's what's wrong with them. The same thing that's wrong with all of us, sin. Yeah. And what we need most is Jesus Christ. So I, I, I just want to go on record and say I apologize to you. But I really genuinely do think that the church can walk better with homosexuals without beating them up, without making them feel like their lustful intent has to go away at a moment. Let's process and walk with them. Let's find out what got them there. What got you here? You, you weren't born like this. You know how I know you weren't born like this? Genesis 1.31, after God created everything, he looked at it and said, it's good. Everything he created, including you in this room, he said is good. Genesis 3 breaks us down. And so we're living in a post-fallen world. And so it perverts everything, including our relationships. Do you have any thoughts? Um, no. That okay. was great. Next question. I have a few more minutes. Is there anything off the table impure in marriage when it comes to sex? Uh, I would say yes. Uh, threesomes is off the table. Uh, I was dealing with one couple that their sex life got boring, and so they said, man, let's introduce some tapes. So they back then it was just videos. And so they introduced VHS or whatever they are, videos, porn 
and to, to spice up their sex life, that is so dangerous. Uh, so I, I would say stuff like that is off the table. I don't know if this is asking more, like more of a, like something like anal sex. I don't know if that's what this is asking, but let me at least address it. Um, I think anal sex, so the Bible, and I've searched, the Bible does not address, not even Song of Solomon addresses this topic of anal sex. I think it's more of a wisdom issue. Is it wise? Was the body created like that? Um, and if you want anal sex, I probably have more questions. No, I'm serious. I don't mean that comical. I probably, there's probably something traumatic that happened. Or I assume, especially if it's the guy. No, I'm not going to say that. I assume that maybe you're watching porn and you're seeing a whole bunch of images that is infiltrating into your marriage. Now, I'm not going to say it's a sin because the Bible doesn't deem it as a sin. I'll just put it out there. Is it wise? I'll leave it at that. Well, I think it... For me, it goes back to the comment I made before about having conversation. Um, I think you guys need to talk uh, about what's comfortable, what's safe. Um, I do think some things are perverted. And so I think you need to be mindful of what you bring into your bedroom. Um, yeah, you, you need to be mindful of what you bring into your bedroom. Um, it's still a sacred place. Like God... Um, created intimacy for his glory. And so that, that space is still, uh, it's still holy ground. Like, it's still good. And so when you bring things into it that taints it, it becomes defiled. And so being mindful of that, being mindful of um, enjoyment and pleasure and kinky um, when it could just go to the left just a little too much. Um, but I think, again, just having that conversation because also you have to be mindful. Like the enemy is so tricky. Like he uses everything um, to, to give himself glory, even intimacy, even sex with your spouse. He'll use that to give himself glory. And so just being mindful of what you guys are bringing in to the bedroom. Um, I think, you know, go for it, go there. You like it. He love it. Yay. But if you're uncomfortable, and if it, if, you're, if it just doesn't fit well with you, it's okay to say no. It's okay to say, I'm not for that. And men, be careful. Let's, let, like, don't be, if you're the one that's like, man, I want to do that, you know, be careful not to be domineering. Man, I don't know if you guys know the, the history of, you know, black, back on plantations um, during slavery, there are times where the slave owner would look at the, the most, the biggest, the strongest male, and to, to make sure that he had control of all the slaves, he would perform anal sex in front of everybody on the strongest slave. And so when you're, you're talking the history of perversion when it comes to things like anal sex. And so um, I would just say, man, is it wise? Be careful. The Bible talks a lot about wisdom. Read James chapter 1. Um, I, I would pray for wisdom in that area. I'm not going to go so far as to say it's a sin. I just think it's a wisdom issue. Let me see if I can do at least one or two more questions. In fact, let's do this. Let, let's, let's not do any more questions. Let's answer some questions that you may have. See if we can do 10 minutes of that. If you have questions. If not, I'm going to keep going. Yes. Yeah. So I, I got it. I'm just going to repeat it for the we're, – we're trying to make sure this goes on the podcast. The question is, basically, what if someone feels like they were born that way? Um, and, and again, I think for me, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I feel like we touched it, but I'll just mention it again. I think it goes back to creation 
and how God created sex and how he created you. And whenever, whenever you look at creation, there's nothing that God, God did not make anything to operate unnatural, nothing. And so that means you as well. Again, Genesis 1.31, everything that he created, he looked at. He doesn't just say good. He says it's very good. And so it's, it's hard for me to believe that someone can be born and say, I was born this way. When I, when I read my Bible and see God says, now nah, I created you good. And I do think that Genesis 3 really has impacted us. I think there are people that from a very, very young age have got, like I said, I was introduced to porn at nine. I think people, there are some children that have been introduced to very unhealthy aspects of sex at a very, very early age. And so I, I will say, I don't deny that there are some that have dealt with uh, homosexuality since they can remember. I wouldn't deny that. I would, go, I would be cautious to say that you were born that way because saying you were born that way is saying God created you that way. And we can't say God created you that way, not when Genesis 131 says everything was good. I'm well, I'm, I just okay. want to speak into that real quick. I think um, I've I've walked with um, I've walked with um, homosexuals who have told me they um, didn't want to wear a dress at the age of five, and so I know that to be true. Um, however, I think the church is so quick to try to straighten them out. I think just being patient, being patient, and um, always exemplifying the gospel, always showing grace, always showing love, always being present. What the LGBTQ community has done well, they have created a dope community. They are tight-knit, they are a family, they root for each other, they fight for each other, they are tight. But what it also does is build identity. And so outside of that community, you don't know who you are. Outside of being gay, outside of being um, queer, bisexual, a lesbian, you don't know who you are because your identity is wrapped in your sexuality. And as Christians, our identity is wrapped in Christ. I only know who I am because of Christ. And I, and I think for the church, again, it's just to be sensitive because it's really hard to push against something that you only know. I've only known this way. This is all I know. And here we come self-righteous, preaching the gospel, fire and brimstone. You're going to go to hell. This is how God designed you. All that is true, but it's not. It has to be speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And so as the church, I caution us to be patient, to be intentional, to not look, ostracize, ostracize them and look at them as weird or um, this phenom. But, but gently be present and walk with them graciously and lovingly, pointing them to Christ without them even knowing. Without them even knowing and, and letting them be an ear for you and being in relationship. I think we need, more of, we need more homosexuality friends in our life to know. Amen. We don't know how to engage them because we don't know. Amen. We don't know. And so open up your house. Being, they may never come to Christ, but you'll know enough about them to be able to witness Christ to somebody else because you heard their testimony. And you know enough about their life and their relationships and their go-through and how they feel. And so you listen to them and you use that wisdom and you apply it somewhere else and watch God do the work. Amen. Just to put a little quick Bible there, uh, in, in, in Corinthians, the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians, you see Paul is arguing uh, with uh, the Corinthians about, you know, you're, you're saying that I baptized you and some saying Apollos did. And, and there's this argument that is going on in chapter 1. 
but it's around surrounded around baptism. And what's interesting is whenever you connect, now we never, as a church, we don't believe that baptism saves you, but we do believe it's the natural response to once you're saved. So we're talking about people that have confessed Jesus and publicly been baptized. Now that's chapter one. You fast forward to chapter six. In chapter six, Paul is calling them out on a bunch of sins. One of the sins that he lists among sexual immorality is homosexuality. So really what I'm trying to say is, in the church at Corinth, now please keep in mind, Corinth was extremely gifted. They are the ones that spoke in tongues the most. They are the ones that prophesied. Go to 1 Corinthians 14. With all this spiritual gifting that was going on, Paul still had to correct believers on homosexuality. In other words, Paul was being very careful. He wasn't kicking them out. He wasn't saying because of your behavior, you're, you're no longer part of the Corinthian church. He was walking and loving with homosexuals, but not just homosexuals. If you read the rest of chapter six, he lists out a bunch of other sins. And so I'll, I'll end uh, that question by just encouraging you to read first Corinthians one and first Corinthians six. Uh, let's do another question. What's your name? Yeah. Tiana. Tiana. Okay. Hmm. Uh, that's a great question. I'm trying to think of, oh, well, the question. I, let can me, I jump in? Yeah, let me ask. Let me, how would you encourage a husband and a wife if one of them, they're married, one of them has same-sex attraction? I'll let you start. Well, I think, as Pastor B said already, it's the same as marrying a man who is lusting or a woman who is lusting after, um, a husband who's lusting after a woman. It's the same thing. Um, I think as we, so this is how I put it. I put it as females would like rather a guy who was smashing girls. Like, I can forgive that sin. Like, oh, he, he sleeps around. He cheated on me a little bit, but he a man. But it's hard for you to swallow a pill for a guy who likes a guy. But he's honest with you. And he's saying, this is what I'm dealing with. And so I follow Jackie Hill Perry, okay? So I encourage you all to do the same. And she has a book coming out, Good Girl, no, Gay Girl, Good God. And she said, because she's married now, and two girls, two beautiful girls, and she said, I guess the question was, like, how do you deal with same-sex attraction now in your marriage? And she said, I still do. I am still attracted to females. When I walk into a restaurant and somebody's attractive, I turn my back to her. But I think that's dope because her husband knows, like, she's going out of her way to honor and respect her husband and honor God. Men ain't turning their back when they see a fly girl. Come on. They not. They trying to position themselves so they can see better. So you know... So you know what you're you know what you're getting into when you are in a relationship or planning to marry somebody who has the same sex attraction. You know. But I, I respect I respect people who have same sex attraction because they fight harder to me. They fight harder against their sin to honor their relationship and to honor God. Where I feel like guys get a pass because they're a guy. Like I don't see, I would love to see husbands turn their back when they go in a, like we don't see that. But if, uh, but if somebody with the same sex attraction is fighting, and that's encouraging. Baby, I see you. I see you trying. I'm here. I'm patient. I'm wrestling with sin, too. My sin is just different than yours. Yeah, I, I would just add one point to that. And no, seriously, that, that is that this goes back, even the question goes back to the idea that there's different sins um, and some sins are bigger. 
I really honestly think that homosexuality, even in the context of marriage and that lust is still there, I don't see it as different, as Ty said, as lusting after the opposite sex. It's the same thing. At the end of the day, Colossians 3 still has to be applied. You have to put it to death. And that's a, that's a lifelong process. That's not a moment. Because you put it to death, something else is going to come back up. And you have to continue to put it to death. One more question, and then we'll, we'll transition our time. Another question. Yes. I think I do. I think that I don't think. Oh, so the question is, is it wise if a single um, reads Song of Solomon, which is a very explicit book on sexuality? I, I would say yes. I think all of the word of God is inspired. And I don't I would never tell anybody not to read a portion of it. Now, I will say this, that first of all, you don't have to just go to Song of Solomon to see sex. That's just one of the places. I mean, Proverbs talks about, I think it's Proverbs 5, uh, I think it's verse 8, talks about, um, talks about sex. But I think what it does is it does prepare you for marriage. When you read, like men, you know, there, there's a verse in Song of Solomon 7, 9, that talks about her breasts are like, clumps uh, or melons or clumps of grapes. And then he goes so far as to say, I want to climb up that tree and lay hold to him. Now you read that as a single young man, that should prepare you because what he's not doing is climbing up and chopping down the daggone melons. What he's doing is he's, he's going up and, you know, taking the melons. It helps you and prepares you for it. I'm serious. As a, <laughs> as a single, it should help you. So I think, yes, I would encourage you to read Song of Solomon, even if you are a single, because I think it's still preparatory in terms of marriage. All right, let me, uh, let me do this. Let me pray, and then I'll transition our time. Um, at the end of our night tonight, I really desire to make sure that this room is set for um, accountability, for prayer, for repentance. I really, I've been praying all week that some of you would walk out of here genuinely repenting of your view of sex and even your, uh, your, the sexual activity that's going on in your life. Not everybody in this room, but for some of you. That's my hope and prayer, and I pray that through the next panel that comes up, that that would be uh, something that the Lord is really chipping at your heart and that we give you the opportunity and the space to really be honest and wrestle because this is a safe place. Amen. Amen. Father, we do come before you and thank you for this conversation. Um, Sex is a good and it's good because you created it. It's good because you've you've wired us. There, There are parts of our bodies, a female's body that is only designed for sexual pleasure. That shows us that you cared. Father, I I pray that you would redeem our thoughts on sexuality. You'd redeem how we view sex. Pray that you would redeem uh, the time. Many of us in this room have dealt with all types of perversion. Lord, I, I pray that you would heal us. Somebody in this room really is struggling because Their greatest issue is that they can't get over being abused. So, Father, I pray for that person. Pray that they would seek help, like real therapy. I pray that they would be honest that there is an issue and that we wouldn't try to mask it by doing church. Pray that we would love homosexuals well. Pray that we'd be caring. 
pray that we'd be open, but I also pray that we would be very, very clear that that is a sin. And the most important aspect of who we are is that we've given our bodies to you, that we've presented our members to you, as the scripture says. And so often we've given our body to others. Forgive us. Because at at the end of the day, that's really idolatry. You desire us, and that means all of who we are, our minds, our bodies, and our souls. And so, Father, I pray for each and every individual in this room. And as we transition, I pray for the panel that comes up, each and every individual. Would you anoint them? Would you would you give them your presence? Would you speak through them? Pray for the questions that will be asked and the questions that will be answered. Pray that you would get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.